Our reading today is from Exodus. It's chapter four, verse one to five. Moses answered, what if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, the Lord did not appear to you? Then the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? It's a staff, he said. The Lord said, throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground and it became a snake. And he ran from it. Then the Lord said to him, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. So Moses reached out and took hold of the snake and it turned back into a staff. This, said the Lord, is so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the Lord of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. The word of the Lord. All right, good morning. Greg uh, used to be in radio, so now I sound ridiculous. <laughs> Thanks for that, Greg. I want to, uh, before we get into the message, uh, just acknowledge uh, the amount of work that our staff, our team, a lot of volunteers have been doing around here. Um, I, I came by with a friend who wanted to see the updates on the remodel this week in the sanctuary, and I bet there was 40 people in here. Some of them were paid to be here, but many of them were volunteers. Uh, putting in an entirely new sound system. We'll have a new board soon. Odds and ends, moving from two screens to one. Yes, we'll fix the blue line. Uh, we'll try to figure out a place for the cross. There's lots of moving parts, as you can imagine. And I just think uh, Austin and Seth and Mike and the team have done such a fantastic job. So can we just thank them? And we have, a, I think, an open house on, on the 3rd of December that we'll be talking about more, but hopefully it'll be pretty done by then, and we'll invite the neighborhood and have some snacks and celebrate the goodness of our God, because uh, we're really grateful uh, for everything. Uh, have, you ever, have you ever been in a talent show? I was writing the message, and I was like asking myself that question. I was like, I don't know. I, uh, I, maybe as a kid, maybe my mom would remind me that I was in a talent show not as an adult, because I really don't think I have any discernible talents that would uh, correlate to a talent show. Uh, that's my own opinion. So I, uh, but I, I'm fascinated by them, and I, I begin to think about talent shows. How do I learn more about that? So I spent some time digging into the most popular talent show on earth called, I bet you know it, America's Got Talent. Now, how many of you have watched an episode or a YouTube clip or a video from America's Got Talent. Raise your hand, like it's incredible. Two weeks ago, I would not have raised my hand. No joke, I'd never, I don't watch much of network TV. I think I watched season one of Survivor and like American's Idol way back in the day. And that's about it for reality TV. I was aware of it, Simon Cowell, I get it, I understand it. I'm not culturally naive, but I'd never ever watched an episode or I think even a clip really. So I was like, huh, what is this thing? 19 seasons. 
And then I lost the next four hours of my life. <laughs> I Googled best American talent performances of all time. And I'm just like, well, it was gone. You, know? you probably know how it works. I don't know if I fully understand, but I think there's, there's judges, many of them are famous. Simon's always there in and out. And then they have all these auditions. So people come in and some of them are really good. Some of them are really bad. And you wanna to try to get through the auditions, the multiple auditions, and you get voted on to get to the live performances, which is in one site, and then one person wins a lot of money and a lot of acclaim, and your life's changed. Is that kind of how it works? That's how I understood it. During the auditions, if you're exceptional, really, really exceptional, one of the judges can hit the what? Boom, right? And everything slow-mo and the confetti, and they're just like, ah, my life's changed. That's how I, so I got sucked in to all of that. Like now I know what all you people have been doing with your time. So I, I, I learned that there's incredible magicians. I like this guy, Piff the Magic Dragon. I don't know if you've ever seen him. He's really great. I really like the dangerous acts. There's this guy, Frank Miles, that juggles stun guns. And each of the stun guns is 500,000 volts. It's enough to knock a grown man across the stage if you were to make contact. So he's doing it and everybody's just like, ah, and Nick Cannon's freaking out. And then he gets in the tub of water and continues to do it. I just think that stuff's fascinating. And then uh, there are they're really, really funny acts. Uh, tape face, if you see tape face, men with pans. I don't know if I should recommend you watch these things. <laughs> and, uh, and then there's somebody that broke, I think like 45 water balloons on his head in, in a minute. And I'm over there, I've got my headphones on and uh, I'm just lucid, I'm cracking up. And my daughter Jubilee is like, what are you doing dad? I'm like, Shh, dad's doing sermon prep. Just. <laughs> um, I'm a softie as you, as you know. And I, what really drew me in though were the Tinder stores. I mean, it's all about the stories. And there'd be like these nine, 10, 11 year old kids. They're just so cute and they get on the stage and then they open their mouth to sing and you're like, what is happening? Tyler, he was a 12 year old kid that had cancer and he was in his process of recovering. He was being bullied and he taught himself violin. He became a virtuoso violinist. Uh, there was a, a, a woman who went deaf as an adult that continued to sing beautifully and play beautifully. Uh, there was a woman, I had even heard of her. She went viral, Susan Boyle. She's 47 year old from the UK. Uh, in all fairness, Susan didn't look like a pop star when she got on stage and then she opens her mouth to sing and it's like angelic. I think my favorite two that I saw, I told you, four hours, uh, was a guy, uh, Cody Lee. Cody was blind and autistic and he came on stage and they couldn't, he couldn't really communicate. They were asking him questions and he was, he was autistic in that way. He was unable to really have a conversation. And yet when Cody sat down behind the piano and began to sing, you're just like, oh. I mean, everybody lost it. I lost it. And I think my favorite of all is, you may or may not have heard this young lady, her name's Nightbird. And uh, she, uh, she, when she came to perform in the audition, she was battling severe cancer, 2% chance of survival, passionate follower of Jesus, really faithful to the end. And she got the, the golden buzzer. And that was an incredible moment for her. But she got so sick, she wasn't able to come to the live performance. She passed away uh, later that year. They did a few interviews with her. Um, I, I'm not being hyperbolic. During that time, when I transitioned from comedy to the Tinder stories, I bet I wept five or six times. 
And, and I, I was asking myself, like, that's embarrassing to share with people. <laughs> like, why am I weeping at America's Got Talent? And I think the heart of it is, as I tried to do introspection, was I think it's so beautiful when someone is seen. When you see somebody for who they are. When you see uh, gifts and you're like, that's who you are and you're incredible at that, especially stories where these stories are people who have never been seen and they're kind of on the margins of society. And we have this quirky reality show that, and I'm like, that's what the church should be doing. That's what we all should be doing to one another, realizing how we've been made and how we've been gifted. And that's all of us. And celebrating that for the glory of God and the good of others. So I'm gonna be asking a question throughout this message that I want you to reflect on. Um, and, and the message is, what, what have you been given and what are you gonna do with what you've been given? And this is a question only you can answer. I have to answer for myself, you have to answer for you, no one can answer it for you. You may be thinking in this long opening on America's Got Talent, what in the world does this have to do with Exodus 4? <laughs> That's a great question. So let me pray as a segue. Uh, Father God, uh, thank you for your presence here with us, with your Holy Spirit. Thank you for your son, Jesus, who is our hope, our only hope. And we pray that your word uh, will come alive in our hearts. We pray your Holy Spirit would do uh, restorative work in our minds and our hearts and our bodies this morning as we seek to follow you, as we seek to glorify you, as we seek to use what you have given us as a gift uh, for the good of others. We pray all this in the matchless name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen. So let's get a little context for Exodus 4. I think that's helpful to help the story pop. Um, 400 years of slavery for the Hebrew people. Uh, and they're growing in number. Uh, Pharaoh's getting nervous. Uh, the Hebrew people are crying out for Yahweh to deliver them. And so Pharaoh's getting, uh, he thinks, I gotta do something about the, the sheer size of these people. So he tells the midwives who would help deliver the Hebrew children to kill all the male Hebrew babies. Well, not them all did it. They loved babies, obviously. And one faithful midwife saved Moses, who then was adopted into Pharaoh's household, unbeknownst to Pharaoh. So Moses grows up in royalty and power. And then at some point, he learns a story. We don't know how. The scriptures don't tell us. He learns where he came from. He learns uh, that he was saved. And one day, he sees uh, an Egyptian uh, soldier beating a Hebrew slave, and he gets angry that's his brother, and then he kills and murders the soldier. So then he runs on the lamb, he takes off into the desert, uh, falls in love, has a family, but he becomes a simple shepherd for 40 years. It's a long time. 40 years of just watching sheep alone. He thinks, I'm guessing, that his life is over that he has nothing more to add to the story of God. You've been there before? I have, I have. And then all of a sudden, out of the blue, this bush lights up like a beacon and yet the bush doesn't burn up. And then Moses begins to approach the burning bush and out of the bush, a voice speaks saying, you're, don't be an idiot, you're approaching a burning bush, essentially, back up. <laughs> 
And then I am the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And it tells us that Moses turns his face away. Moses realizes this is a holy encounter. It says, take off your shoes. This is a holy place. That was a sign of respect. And then a conversation ensues prior to our passage in Exodus 4. That goes something like this. God says, I've heard the cries of my people. I'm gonna set them free and you're my guy. And Moses is like, <laughs> I got a brother who's really good. You know, I stutter, you know, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm on the lamb here running from, you want me to go back? You know, respectfully, God, this is a horrible plan. That's kind of how it goes. But respectively, because it's Yahweh. So he's like, well, how do, how do I do that? And God's like, I will be with you. That's the only answer, which is profound in and of itself. I will be with you. That's how you do it. And then Moses continues to kind of argue with God, which becomes their relationship as we track it through scripture. Moses, the friend of God. And he's like, okay, let's say I do this crazy idea of yours. And let's say I get in front of Pharaoh and Pharaoh's court, the most powerful person on planet earth and say, let all your workforce go free. <laughs> What's by, why, how would, why would he do that? And then I heard a sermon years and years ago on this passage and, and the person speaking highlighted this question, which I think is the most important part of this little passage. And God answers Moses' doubt with a question as Jesus often did. God's, Moses like, how's this gonna work? And God says, what is in your hand? What's in your hand? Moses was holding a staff. The staff was the epitome of all that Moses was. It was his calling card as a shepherd. It was the way he protected the sheep and guided the sheep. It was really all he had to offer to anyone. God's like, I can work with that. I can work with that. But you gotta let it go. You gotta give it away. If you hold on to it, can't work with that. But if you give it away, I can work with that. So lay it on the ground and the crazy snake. And that's when I would have just been like, I'm out. Because I'm like Indiana Jones in that way. Like no snakes. You could do a lot of things, no snakes. But Moses grabs it, turns back into staff. Here's the interesting thing is you track the story and Moses says the reluctant yes to God. From here on out, the staff is not called Moses' staff, it's called the staff of God. He's given it away. Exodus 4.20, so Moses took his wife and his sons, put them on a donkey, and started back to Egypt. That is a crazy, audacious verse. He's like, all right, <laughs> here I go. And he took the staff of God in his hands. I, I relate to this story. Uh, I, I would guess that you do as well because there's been so many times in my life, even recently, that I don't feel up to it. I'm like, that's your plan, God? Imposter syndrome, have you heard of that? Like if, if, you, if they knew you know, who I really was, man, I struggle with that. I bet you do as well. Uh, God, can you work with this? I mean, if there was a thing in our, my high school yearbook on least likely to be a pastor, it'd be this guy, it'd be my picture, <laughs> It's like, seriously, I'm not being hyperbolic. And so, but God, if we see what we have been given, our staff, if you will, and we're willing to give it away for the glory of God and the good of others, watch out, watch out. And that's what we're talking about today. So these two questions that I'm gonna be coming back to you again and again with, these are your questions to answer. I can't answer them for you. 
If you're married or dating someone, they can't answer it for you. Kids, your parents can't answer these for you. These are questions we alone can answer, we alone are held accountable for to steward. And the questions are, what is in your hand and what will we do with what we've been given? I wanna return briefly to the parable we looked at last week. We're in the series Entrusted. And the way we're framing it is we've been entrusted with treasures and time and talents. And we're talking about talents today. Denise did a great job talking about treasures last week. And she went to this passage appropriately so in Matthew 25. This is Jesus' parable of the talents. We'll get to that. Parable, that Greek word uh, means to throw down alongside. That's It's a weird Greek word, but here's how parables operate. Jesus's main objective was to bring about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, um, as he wants to bring the kingdom to earth as it is in heaven. So he's teaching about the kingdom. He's trying to get people to understand how the kingdom's so different than what we live in. It's really difficult. And it's so big and so bold and so audacious, Jesus couldn't just explain it empirically. We wouldn't get it. He wouldn't follow along, so he had to tell stories. And so that's what he's doing. He's throwing these stories of the kingdom down alongside our present lives to show us the difference. That's how parables work. It's like, here's how you think about life. Boom, deal with that. Deal with this. And we're like, whoa, 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 whoa. And your mind's popping and blowing. So this is how this parable is working. He's trying to get us to think differently about how life works. He's always about the great reversal, great reversal. So in this parable, just a review from last week, if you don't remember or you weren't here, very simple parable. Uh, A rich landowner is going away and gives three servants a number of talents to steward, to take care of. Now this word talent in the original text was a, um, a form of money. And I did, you know, I'm a pastor, but I did a little math for you. I know it's dangerous, Uh, but talents were uh, valued at 6,000 denarii. One denarius was the equivalent of a day's wage for a common labor. So the minimum wage in Oregon is 1420. That's about $115 a day. So one talent in this story, uh, corresponding to our present economy, was worth about $690,000. So he gave five and then two and then one to the three servants. Altogether, this landowner dispersed to his servants to steward and invest and take care of $5 million $520,000. Who cares? It doesn't really matter. Point being, if you're listening to it in the original context, you're, you're listening to that and you're like, whoa, that's a lot. We need to get that as followers of Jesus because we are these servants in the story. Whoa, God has given us a lot. So the landowner comes back to settle accounts or to literally hold them accountable for how they had stewarded. And the first two doubled and he's like, well done, good and faithful servant, which is deeply what I wanna hear when I pass from this world to the next. Well done, you stewarded well what I gave you to steward. The last one buried the treasure or kept the treasure to himself. And the landowner was not happy, called him a wicked and lazy servant. So just from this parable, we can pull the fact that each of us who are part of God's kingdom have been entrusted with stuff. Secondly, anything we've been given, time, treasure, and talents are not ours. We have been given them. This is so essential to unlocking all of this. We didn't, it's not ours. You don't deserve it. None of us deserve it. As Paul said to the Corinthian church, what do you have that you did not receive? 
And finally, this little kingdom story uh, reveals that what we do with what we have been given matters. We will each be held account for what we've been given. I love the way 1 Peter 4.10 just kind of sums it up. Each of you, this is you if you're a follower of Jesus, should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. So a very practical question any follower of Jesus should be asking, and we're gonna ask it, we are asking it today, is what talents has God given me to steward? And it's gonna be a different answer for all of us. That word talent, I love etymology. I think etymology is like the story of words. And so as remarkable as I did an etymology search on this word talents, you go all the way back and talents, how we understand it today in the English, got its heritage and its history from Jesus's parable. Isn't that crazy? It goes all the way back. When Jesus first gave it, they would have primarily understood it as just money. And it is talking about money, but it's more because in the parable, it says he gave them talents according to their abilities. There's also an ability thing here. And slowly over time, the word morphed in this idea of like, it's talents, which our definition is natural abilities. That's how we would define it in the English. So I put together a little thing. I don't know if this will be helpful or not. I hope so. But to help us, to help me, to help you as followers of Jesus to determine what your talents are. Maybe you just know. I'd sit down with you and you could just articulate beautifully what God has given you to steward. I bet most of us struggle. We struggle to do so. So I put together this little four-piece Venn diagram. This is how it works. I think there's four components of talent. And I'm gonna walk through each of them very briefly. And I just ask you as you're sitting out there, no one can do this for you, to reflect as led by the Holy Spirit how you would answer each of these areas. What has God given you in each of these areas? I'm arguing that our talent is where each of these four things meet. This is essentially what God has given us to steward, to give away for God's glory and the good of others. So the first one is skills, skills. So skill is the ability to do something well. That's the definition. I tried to think of a person that I would call skilled that also didn't practice that skill a lot. So I think inherent in the idea of skills is practice. Now, there are some of us that are more naturally skilled at something right from the get-go. But we wouldn't call somebody super skilled that also doesn't really practice it. One of my favorite basketball players is Kobe Bryant. And Kobe was obviously naturally skilled and gifted with height and agility and all that kind of stuff. But Kobe was known throughout his entire career as being the first one in the gym and the last one out. They would turn the lights out on the guy shooting. That's how dedicated he was to his craft. John Coltrane, which some would call the greatest saxophone player of all times, he used to quip, I practice 25 hours a day. There's stories of John Coltrane sleeping with his horn night after night, falling asleep with it in his mouth as he's practicing one note for four or five straight hours. Uh, Ron, some of you may know Ron. He's one of our ushers. If you don't know Ron, he wears a hat that says Ron. So it's, you know, it's easy. Ron's wonderful, just a wonderful, wonderful human. One of my favorite people with all due respect here at New Hope. Last week, Ron was about to get on his bus uh, and I said, what, what are you doing today? He's like, I'm going bowling. I was like, oh, that's cool. Yeah, I bowl like once every five years or something. And I was like, what, what do you average on average bowl? He's like, 227. <laughs> what? And I tried to keep a straight face. I'm like, that's incredible. 
incredible. You know, you're so gifted. And I was like, uh, can you maybe give me some tips? He's like, yeah, you take the ball and you roll it straight. <laughs> Thanks, Ron, appreciate that. We did uh, an event called Kids Sessions here with our kids ministry before COVID. It was one of the favorite things we did. And we would get New Hopers to come in with their random gifts and just on Wednesday nights share with our kids. We had a grandfather who was a woodworker come in and teach him how to build bird houses. And uh, an artist come in and teach him how to create all kinds of artistic things. A dancer come in to teach him how to dance. We had an environmental landscaper come in and talk about where did the trees from around here come and the rocks and what's the history. And we had a, someone come in and teach the kids how to make a good soup. It's a skill. It's a skill. You have skills. Uh, you may not notice them. You may not acknowledge them, but you do that you have been given. What's in your hand? What are you going to do with what you've been given? So skills are the first component of our talent. Second is our spiritual gifts. So Mike Bird is a theologian. He defines spiritual gifts as an empowerment from God for God's people through the spirit for spiritual work in the church. Every single one of us that have placed our faith and our hope and hold on to Jesus for dear life are filled with the Holy Spirit and given at least one, if not more, spiritual gifts. So there's not a complete list anywhere in the New Testament. Here is a, a list that I just compiled. Those are the passages. If you wanna take a picture of that, you can go and check those out. Um, lots of gifts up there. You have at least one of them if you're a follower of Jesus. For the body of Christ, for New Hope to be healthy, everyone who's part of our church and following Jesus needs to be in the game. You need to be using your spiritual gifts. That's how Paul talked about it to the Corinthians. We're a body. And if you've got your gift on the bench, we struggle as a body. I'm not trying to shame you, it's just the reality. Have you ever had an injury somewhere or a painful part of your body, a part of your body that's not working? It affects the entire body. So again, like we don't really need volunteers necessarily. We're, we're good at a lot. Of, it's not, we don't need stuff for you. I want this from you. We want it for you. The body operates in a healthy way when we're all contributing our gifts. And I think one of the silliest things churches do, and we've done it, I've done it as a pastor, is have people serving in church, they're not serving according to their gift. I think it's crazy. <laughs> like, why do we do that? It's insane, right? If, if someone who's teaching or leading worship should have those spiritual gifts, someone greeting part of welcome should have the gift of hospitality. Someone on the care team should have the gift of mercy or healing. The people who do finance should have the gift of administration. These are just kind of no-brainer things. So that's where we want to start with. We try to do that around here. You may be asking, how do I determine what my spiritual gift is? I found the best way is just to kind of guess. Yeah, maybe ask some people close to you, what do you think I'm good at when you look at this list? And then just start trying to use it. And you'll be affirmed. It's either, sometimes it's a supernatural gift, but often it's just something that you already possess that you're good at that the Holy Spirit supernaturally blesses. And you'll see it. You'll begin to have fruit. And other people will see it. And New Hope, this is where we can begin to bless one another as a community. Call it out. What an awesome gift, right? That's why I got so emotional watching this. So I love seeing that happen in the church. Hey, just grab someone. Like, hey, do you know that you're like really good at that? Thank you. I see God in you when you're doing that golden buzzer. You know, I'm gonna hit the golden buzzer for you. And like that is not only meaningful for you to become a person of encouragement, which is evidence of the Holy Spirit in our lives, but it's so meaningful, that person. People remember those moments. Those can sometimes be life-changing moments. 
And so we need to do a better job with that. If you wanna get in the nuts and bolts of it, there's a QR code that's coming up that you can take a picture of that takes you to a website with lots of different things for free that you can try to determine what you give. So maybe that's a way you start and then you see how you can use that in your church or in your community, your workplace, uh, wherever it may be. So what's in your hand? What's in your hand? What are your skills? What are your spiritual gifts? What are you gonna do with what you've been given? So the third component of our talents is our experiences. If I sat down with each of you, if you sat down with one another, our stories are varied and beautiful. God has, is crafting our story, I believe, and then we also make U-turns and we diverge from God's story and we sin and we're broken people. But I really believe God is so incredible as an artist and an author, God can even weave that stuff into our journey. My point being, your story is unique, your experience is unique, and they're part of the package of your talents. They make up your talents. These are not, God does not waste things. That's some of the beauty of following Jesus. And this has to do even with, with, our, with our suffering. Things maybe that we choose to do that harm us or others, or things that just happen to us in a fallen and broken world that are gonna happen into the world is made right. They're not wasted stuff. Actually, I find that God uses those things in powerful and remarkable ways. They become like our superpower. Uh, Think of superheroes. I don't watch that genre of TV too much, but I'm aware of it. Uh, And I was just thinking the other day, you could argue with me later if you're like a nerd in that area, but I think most of the, 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 the superheroes, their superpower comes from suffering or place of brokenness. I think of like Batman. That's the one I know for sure. And uh, Batman, right? Bruce Wayne, this horrific thing, watches his parents get murdered. But then that morphs into this passion to use what he was given to make Gotham right. Spider-Man, on and on and on. I, I don't think I'm trying to make too much of it. I think in this, in this area, this arena that is painful and it's hor- these things by God's grace can become our superpower. Don't ever say that to somebody in the midst of suffering. <laughs> Christians do that, don't, they'll say that. Just, they'll realize it. I have uh, two sets of, of families that I know that have both, are passionate followers of Jesus, that have both lost two boys in childhood. I mean, I can't even imagine. I'd still be in fetal position, I think. And yet these families have, by God's grace, found the way forward. There's no one on planet Earth that I would want to sit with someone who's lost a child in these families. It becomes their superpower in that this horrific thing they can understand, they can empathize, they can be compassionate in ways no one else can. Paul says it this way, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. What's in your hand? What's in your hand? What are you gonna do with what you've been given? The final component of our talents is the one that Christians struggle to talk about, but is so vitally important. And that's the area of our passions. Followers of Jesus, least of the modern said, don't wanna talk about passions and desires. It's like they're freaked out by it. And yet how many of the psalmists talk, just read the Psalms, that's our prayer book, that God has put desires in our hearts. We don't need to be scared of them. 
He's put desires in our heart, longings in our heart, unique ones. C.S. Lewis used to always talk about that the problem with Christians is not that we have too much desire, but too little desire. Frederick Buechner is one of my favorite authors, and this is one of his more famous quotes. He said, the place God calls you is to the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. I, uh, I adore backpacking. I love backpacking. If I have any skill, it's lighting a fire in the wild when the wood's wet. I'm good at that. I'm good at that. I've practiced a lot. And I, I encountered backpacking when I was in high school and it morphed and wove into my spiritual journey. Had someone who saw that in me and used that. And, and I just, to this day, there's no one where on earth that I feel more alive than about 25 miles out in a national park with everything I need for that journey on my back with some good friends. I just feel alive. I just feel like I'm, some of you are like, that sounds like hell. <laughs> like, I, I get it, that's why we're different, we're different. This is my talent set. And so that's part of my journey, just is. And so in, when I was a youth pastor for a long time, for about 12 straight years, I'd take a 20, 25 really out of shape high schoolers up to the Colorado Rockies and <laughs> march them up the mountain. But I can't tell you how they encounter. I mean, it's so amazing, story after story after story of these kids connecting with God in a deeply meaningful way in the wild. As I, as I transitioned out of youth pastoring for the last 10 or 12 years, I'll most years take a group of friends and pastors out into the wild because guys struggle with friendships. And as you get older and pastors struggle and they don't take care of themselves and they need to connect. And I've just had so many holy moments. I think some pictures come up. That's, that's Goat Rocks Wilderness. I think the one before that was two summers ago in Glacier National Park. Um, you don't have to love this. It's not your journey, it's mine. But I do and I feel alive. Uh, Eric Little, he was a missionary to China. He, he, he was martyred there actually, but he, before that he was an Olympic runner. His story is memorialized in the movie Chariots of Fire. And in that movie, Eric said, when I run, I feel the pleasure of God. What is that for you? When you're doing it, it's unique to you that you feel alive. Your heart's beating, it's pulsating. You're feeling this desire and passion. Don't be scared of that, that's God. That's what's been given to you. So I don't know if this has been helpful. This is kind of what I, I'm arguing was helpful for me, so I'm just offering it. But I think our talent, the things we've been trusted with, yes, we've been given treasure. Yes, we've been given time. We'll talk about that. But our talent is this intersection. It's the place where our skills and our spiritual gifts and our experiences, yes, even our suffering, and yes, even our passions meet. What is that for you? That's special. Absolutely, 100%, that's unique for every person in this room. And that's what makes the body of Christ so beautiful. And that's how kingdom is gonna come to Portland as it is in heaven. If we not hold that, but we let go of it. We give it away for the glory of God and the good of others. One of my favorite movies of all time is Mr. Holland's Opus. Are you familiar with this movie? I was told recently it was filmed in Grant High School here. Uh, Steven, who plays bass this morning, was an extra in the movie. I was like, what, dude? You're my hero. <laughs> I uh, love that movie. I think to date I've not watched it without weeping. 
And I used to, <laughs> it was back in the day with youth ministry, you just showed movies all the time. At least that's what I did. And I showed that movie so often, the kids were like, not Mr. Holland's opus again. You're gonna cry, you know? <laughs> yep. If you don't know the story, I'd encourage you to watch. I really think it stands up well. But Mr. Holland was this brilliant musician. He wanted to write this opus, kind of like a symphony. And he needed to pay the bills while he did. He's biding time you know, to get space to write this great opus. He's gonna be a modern day Beethoven, that kind of vibe. So he becomes a high school music teacher. And then 35 years pass, right? Because life happens. Had a child, the child was deaf, there was financial constraints, and he just had to keep on. And he always thought that this is what he was called to do, but he found his life was doing something else. So there's this last scene and he's retiring and he's in Grant High School apparently and he's cleared out his office and locker room and then he hears a noise. And he's one of those teachers that's been around so long that he has to know what's going on everywhere. He's like, what is that? And so they walk down the hall, his grown sons with him and his wife and they know what's up. And he opens the auditorium and the place is packed with people. And it's all former students and they're there to celebrate him. So, you know, he's, he's weeping, I'm weeping, you're gonna be weeping when you watch it. <laughs> He walks to the front row and then one of his students earlier in the movie struggled with her a lot. Now she grew up, he, he was life changing. His, 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 his role in her life changed her life and she's become the governor. So she, she rolls in late with her entourage down the middle. She's the keynote speaker. So she gives this great speech, but the, the heart of it is and where it really clicks for me is she said, you know, you probably think your life is wasted, right? You didn't get to write that great opus, but we are your opus. And I'm just like, <gasps> that's biblical, that's biblical. And I couldn't end this message on talents without saying, as you determine and discover what God's given you to steward and to give away for God's glory and the good of others, it must be linked to people, it must be. Trust me on this. If we get the gift one day on our deathbeds of being able to reflect on our lives, I promise you, you won't be like, I regret that I didn't have that extra hour to adjust my fantasy football roster. <laughs> or to build that thing, right? Build that business or to go on that trip. Or to, I'm not, there's some important things. I'm not hating on this. There's nothing inherently evil about all that. I promise you, I promise you, any regrets that we have will be linked that we didn't invest what we have been given in the people we love most. Just true. I struggle with that. I think we all do. We get distracted with that. And I bet if we're reflecting and we're smiling at the goodness and grace of God on the moments that we remember, they'll all be linked to people. That we gave away just a little bit of what we've been given. What's in your hand? What's in your hand? What are you gonna do with what you've been given? As we, as we begin to prepare our hearts for the table and we try to continue to think of ways to see the gospel, I thought, you know, in line with this message, I thought of the story I heard once, uh, Brendan Manning, he's an author, priest, he's shaped my life, his, his books did. Uh, he knew the author Shel Silverstein as a kid. Imagine that. Uh, Shell, you know, he wrote all these children's books. Uh, he ended up becoming, he was raised Jewish, ended up becoming a follower of Jesus later in his life. And the two of them connected, had coffee, had a meal. And Brennan's like, Shell, you know, I'm a priest. You're a follower of Jesus. This is incredible. He's like, 
tell me, like, what, like, explain the gospel. Say, like, what captivates you about God's love? How did this happen? And Shell's like, oh, let me get back to you. And Brenna said, a couple months later, he gets this manuscript in the mail, and it's the rough draft of this book that would become known as The Giving Tree. And Shell's like, that's my answer. That's the gospel for me. And if you know that story, it's a remarkable book. Simple, but it's the relationship between a boy and a tree. And throughout, uh, the tree's big and bold and loves the boy. And throughout, the boy, as he grows older, just keeps on taking from the tree, taking from the tree, taking from the tree, taking from the tree. But the tree loved it. The tree took, this is what I am. I want to give. I want to give. I'm alive. And the last page is there's just a stump. That's all that's left. And the boy's an old man. It says, hey, I don't have anything else I need from you. <laughs> Can I just lay my head on the stump? And it just says, and the tree was happy. See, that's, that's the parable throwing down beside. That's what Jesus is trying to get us to see, lest we be beguiled with the ways of the world. Jesus said, if, if we want to discover life, we give it away. Right? And in giving it away, what God has given us for the glory of God and the good of others, we discover, as Paul said to young Timothy, the life that is truly life. What's in your hand? And what are you going to do with what you've been given? Let me pray for us. Holy Spirit, we just pray that you would continue to work. I, I trust that you're working. I hope that you're working. This is wasted space if you're not at work. In my heart, uh, in the hearts of the people here, we need you so desperately right now. I just pray that uh, you would encourage hearts this morning that need to be encouraged, that you would convict hearts that need to be convicted that you would illuminate our eyes, that we would see what we've been given. What do we have that we have not been given? All is grace. And God, that you would give us holy courage today, not to just go home and on the way home say, oh, what did you think? And this was good, I didn't like this, and then just keep on living the same way. You would change us, God. You would, you would cause us to live differently for your glory and for the good of others in giving our lives away we may discover life we pray this all in the name of the one who modeled how to do that in the name of our beloved King Jesus and all God's people said Amen, Amen.